0: Welcome to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast, where we share examples of leadership and innovation. Small entrepreneurial businesses, large mega corporations, and all types of enterprises in between are seeing a global shift in perspectives around the role of business in society. From ESG investing to sustainable finance to social impact in our communities, We're on a journey to leverage data and intelligence to make the best business decisions possible. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Kisa Shreen. Today's guest is Julia Walker. Julia heads Asia market growth and strategy at Refinitiv. She focuses on financial markets, infrastructure, and risk intelligence in the company. Her work in financial services includes names such as UBS and Royal Bank of Scotland, and she's a member of the United Nations Secretary General's Task Force of Digital Financing of Sustainable Development Goals. She's also the author of Sustainable Development Goals, Harnessing Business to Achieve the SDGs Through Finance, Technology, and Law Reform. Julia, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. So I'd like to kick this off just to talk about um, the UN, specifically during Climate Week very recently, and Greta and her remarks and her comments really, I mean, to say she challenged the business world is definitely an understatement. How dare you? That's, That's definitely more than a challenge. What do you think the impact is that this teenager is having on our conversation around climate change and our conversation around the environment in general?
1: Thanks for the question. So it has been an extremely busy week here in New York and Gress's call was extremely passionate, poignant and bold. I guess the question is, is is the alarm there, is the crisis there? And and the answer is yes. Um, In regards to the SDGs, we're four years into them. Um, The Sustainable Development Goals – are uh, 100 uh, sorry, 17 goals that 193 countries have agreed on, right? But four years in, no countries on track at all, um, and we are rapidly going towards a future that is going to surpass the 1.5 degree um, uh, Paris Climate Agreement, which is embedded in SDG 13, which is very problematic. It does start to move into um, cataclysmic ecosystem failure. And so her, I think her speech was a wake up call It's saying we have to change. Um, in regards to the SDGs, they're saying that business as usual is not an option. So we, we can't go along just continuing doing what we're doing. We need to have quite um, significant transformative change. And um, so, uh, yeah, I think she was pretty much on point.
0: So and let's look at the broader picture. You're mentioning the SDGs. I know that there are seven, 17 of them, but what is the overall spirit? So if you look at the SDGs very broadly, what what are we trying to accomplish with these SDGs? What is the hoped-for outcome?
1: Um, so the SDGs seek to end extreme poverty in all its forms and to have in place the building blocks of sustained prosperity for all. Okay. Um, prior to the SDGs, there was the Millennium Development Goals, which actually made a huge amount of progress. You know, poverty um, was halved in in, in many countries, and a lot of progress has been made. But this one also um, encompasses that we're leaving no one behind. Um, By missing the SDGs, we're leaving millions to die unnecessarily, um, and heading towards a world that just isn't sustainable, um, which will have dire consequences for future generation.
0: So the SDGs, and you've made the case for the importance of them, we're looking at 2030 to have this accomplished. That sounds pretty aggressive to many folks. So in terms of where we are now and the work that we have to do over the next 10 years, um, how can we get on track to accomplish these? You said that right now, no country has really been able to accomplish all of them. So how can we get on track?
1: So um, today we, we have enough money to achieve the SDGs. Uh, the um, amount of money needed is enormous. It's about $4.5 trillion per year. Um, but it's not for lack of money. It's more for how we channel the money towards the SDGs. And, and that's the focus of many discussions. And that can be done in many ways, and it will be done in, in many ways. Um, in uh, the book um, that I've just published, we look at it from a few different ways. Um, we look at how you will finance them, um, and the role of the international private sector. We look at the role of asset managers. So, what what can they do? Uh, what products could they build for you know their retail clients to be able to invest in the SDGs? Um, And also, what's the role of the rating agencies? So we have a contribution from Moody's Investor Services around, well, how would you price Sort of sovereign debt. Um, so there's a lot of things that can be done um, to to finance the SDGs. Then I look at the technology aspects, um, and that has also been coming out quite heavily in uh, the Secretary General's um, task force of digital financing of the SDGs. So the use of technology is a powerful way to achieve the SDGs. And I'll give a couple of examples there. You know, one uh, particularly around inclusive finance or you know, banking the unbanked populations, providing digital identity for all. Um, at the moment, uh, we, about one in five people don't have a, f- a formal identity. And then if they don't have an identity, it's very hard for them to get bank accounts and access to financial services, which is which is key. Right? So there's been a lot of work happening on inclusive finance. How do we um, have Remittance windows. How do we have different payment platforms that um, enable people to, you know, have bank accounts and receive funds, and if they've got family overseas, receive those funds um, more cheaply, you know, without having, you know, huge fees. Um, but the di- the digitization of finance also is unlocking more opportunities um, in places like India, for example, where they have implemented an ID uh, system. Called Adha, as part of the India stack, um, they have uh, saved about I think about nine billion dollars that uh, of money that would have gone to well, sort of lost from corruption because they could uh, move money directly from the government to individuals. So technology and the digitization of finance offers huge opportunities in terms of I guess hitting the SDGs, and and that's a key focus. Um, of the UN at the moment.
0: And so it sounds like even though $4.5 trillion a year, which is an enormous amount of money, is needed, we do see a path in terms of how we can get the money. And you mentioned the digitization of finance and how companies can reduce their costs. Do we see other ways? or companies really looking at needing to come out of pocket? in terms of financing this, are are there some creative ways, are there innovative ways, are there tech-driven ways um, in terms of digital identity and other things that will really allow for the entire amount?
1: So um, to finance them, I guess... The the key message is that um, the government sectors or the public sectors can't do it alone. It will be the private sector stepping in to finance it. And there's a lot of discussion around blended finance. You know, how do we have structures where um, the private sector can, you know, step in as well to assist? There will be things like infrastructure where we have a three point six to six trillion dollar infrastructure gap to be able to finance the SDGs again and to hit the Paris agreements. There's opportunity. Is there? You know, what is the role of the pension funds? So, some of the largest pension funds in the world, you know, have about 140 billion under management. Um, they could put that into longer-term investments, um, thus sort of driving for systemic change. So, at the end of the day, these are things that they can do. The pension funds
0: can move in that direction. These um, firms can move in that direction. Why should we really care? Why should they care enough to want to um, be creative and
1: rethink how they use their the funding? So, um, I mean, it, it's good for the planet, I guess. Uh, there's a, but I guess there's now been a number of studies that are saying that you can create positive returns. Um, there have been arguments in the past that um, doing good in a investment portfolio doesn't necessarily generate alpha. Um, that position has been disproven. There's been over 2000 studies. Um, and uh, most financial services company, and, and, and I've uh, looked at UBS Wealth in, in this book, UBS are very firm on saying that, you know, it, there is por- positive correlation um, and that their investors are ready and able to invest. So um, there's obviously great environmental, social reasons, uh, but you know money can be made from it as well. So there's a lot of opportunity in this. From a thematic point of view, people are waking up to sustainability. They want sustainable products. There are big thematics around millennials and women that care about this stuff. And so um, from a business point of view, there is a large – opportunity to capture by focusing on these areas.
0: So let's talk about Climate Week, your work with the UN, and just digitization, the task force that you're focusing on. How do you see things moving forward in the future? How did Climate Week and how does the work that the UN is doing, how is that progressing um, in terms of what you're doing with the SDGs and what your role is and really bringing awareness to the financial services community in general?
1: So um, it's been been a busy week. This uh, task force came into um, existence at uh, the end of last year, and so um, today, actually, they published their interim report. Um, there are different members of the task force from uh, the UN agencies, from the private sector, from technology companies, and a number of them have been starting to talk about, well, where they've got to. Um, it's varied. It's varied. Um, there's some amazing things that are happening. There's a huge amount happening um, in the payment space, um, in, in Africa, um, in Asia, um, in Europe. Um, uh, so I won't go into all the details of what people were you know were getting into, but some of the key thematics that are coming out is the role of citizens. So the financial sector, um, in many ways, people don't really connect with it. You know, it's a big beast that many people don't understand. But, you know, the, the financial sector is supposed to be, you know, safe harboring people's investments. It's, it's their money that enables the financial services sector to to exist. So the digitization of finance can enable them to reconnect a bit more with it. So there's um, new uh, ways of funding, like peer-to-peer lending and, and crowdfunding, just different ways of um, generating credit. And credit history and credit scoring. Um, and that's been quite an interesting focus. Um, there's been a, a lot happening in China. So um, Ant Financial's on the task force, and Eric Jing was talking about um, what Ant and Alibaba have been doing in terms of the unbanked in, in China. Um, there was EcoCash uh, from Tanzania, who uh, now have uh, 80% of all GDP going through their platform. So it's quite interesting to look at. Um, what is already happening in most of these countries to enable prosperity in general. So
0: we talk about
1: enabling prosperity. We talk about
0: the underbanked and really helping to support um, that community. One of the things that w- was very shocking to me was the issue of human trafficking. And so I would like to know in terms of how we can support various communities, that community specifically. And just to, to give some context there, um, looking at the faces behind financial crime as relates well, to mm-hmm. human trafficking, international labor the International Labor Organization reports that 152 million children between the ages of 5 and 17 are in child labor, and 48% of them are ages 5 to 11. Um, so that's pretty, um, pretty egregious, um, tremendously disturbing. Mm. And could you let us know, with human trafficking specifically, what are some of the goals and how can financial services firms really play a role? Is it only supplier-led? Or are there other things that they can really look at to play a role in, de- in defeating this?
1: So, um, you're right. I mean, right now, um, we have more modern day slaves than in any time in history. So more it's than any
0: time in history, more
1: than any other time in history. So, I mean, a lot has been written on, you know, slavery in the past, but, um, now we actually have more than we ever have had. Uh, that number is around 40.3 million modern day slaves. um, which is just appalling. And, uh, you know, your your numbers there um, on child labour are accurate. Um, in Asia, it's estimated 1 in 10 children are in child labour. So it's pretty dis- disturbing. Um, so what does that mean? So, I mean, it's interesting, therefore, then to look at supply chains. Um, many companies have thousands and thousands of suppliers, and their suppliers have suppliers, and they don't really know who they're doing business with. Um, so there is a great opportunity to bring a lot more transparency into supply chains, one, by traditional means and two, by sort of emerging technology, um, to be able to really understand the risk of of the supply chains. Um, There's been a number of issues in the past um, and reputational damage to major companies um, that have been found to have had child labour in their supply chains. I mean, um, there's obviously the movement of sustainable fashion which is which is hitting on this one too, because at the end of the day, there um, are factories in low-income producing countries um, where companies don't have to pay much to the sort of end person, and um, sometimes those uh, labour standards are pretty are pretty poor. Um, so by having practices in place, having good governance, having good technology. Um, having good supplier onboarding tools, you know, there is an ability to uh, bring a lot more transparency to that and just to have the information to make decisions on whether you want those practices to exist. Um, In terms of emerging technology, there's been some really interesting developments um, with blockchain and in the supply chain. Um, I've written a case study on Everledger, who um, I think are doing extraordinary things. They have been... um, Essentially tracking diamonds on the blockchain. Um, And uh, I actually caught up with uh, the founder this week and I sort of further asked her around, well, what does this mean for the SDGs? Has she linked it? she said, oh, yes, actually. um, In one of the mining countries, they've actually found um, a set of women that used to go into the mines and come out with big rocks and just hand them over to the men because they didn't know what they. Were And the wow. men would clean it and sort of go, okay, then make a huge amount of cash um, off the back of that. So they've managed to take out the um, the middleman, and then the money has gone back into that community. And that community of women have actually then invested that money in education um, and their families, and they probably will set up um, some gemology, you know, sort of education, and start transforming the community. So it's really interesting with that example, I think with that new technology coming in is also driving a, a lot of prosperity. But if you didn't have transparency or you couldn't track it down, the provenance of a number of these items, then that, that wouldn't happen. And so is that one of the
0: key roles of the financial industry in terms of tracking this down, in terms of really having an understanding of what that chain looks like and where money is going? Is that a key role that the
1: financial industry is playing and can play into the future? I think that's a key role for more corporations. Okay. So that it's a concept of provenance. Mm. Um Where did this good come from? Um, So being able to track that back Mm -hmm. is key. I mean the financial community is more around um, what financial products they can offer to the market Mm -hmm. Um, and to be able to offer that they need um, to make decisions on numerous factors. So the financial community needs a lot of data um, and willing investors, you know, they need people to buy those products, I think, to be able to invest in different things.
0: So everyone really has a role. If we're looking at the SDGs holistically and looking at what we all can bring to the table, whether you're a corporation, whether you're um, a financial services firm or any other type of firm, everyone can really have a role, whether it's selling those financial products to customers or whether it's really paying attention to the supply chain.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. So so I think, you know, education is, is key. So um, you know, there's not probably a day that goes by that there isn't an article on climate or environment or something um bad. And and I think education is key. So um that's one of the reasons I guess I, I, I wrote this book to bring different concepts together to give people um a bit more of an understanding of the different phases. So I look at, um, you know, what are the Sustainable Development Goals and how they came about, um, how we could finance them, what is the role of technology, um, but also what is the role of law reform. So um, one thing that's really interesting with the um, Sustainable Development Goals is that it also provides a framework of what the laws ought to be, so in many cases, if you look at some of the laws today, and particularly like in securities regulation and capital raising, they don't support the SDGs. Um, and in particular, I'd look at SDG 8, you know, Decent Work and Economic Growth. Um, SMEs or MSMEs, um, you know, are the bedrock of society, really. But in, in many Um, situations, they can't raise capital very well. So, you know, that is an opportunity to do some securities regulation change to enable them to, you know, raise more capital to be more successful and to scale. At the moment, you know, it is um, favoring just the larger financial institutions in that regard. So the SMEs, um,
0: they refer to the size of the businesses.
1: The MSME, so small versus medium. Yeah, just in terms of, um, you know, small to medium-sized enterprises, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look at fintech, so financial technology, um, and things like uh, peer-to-peer lending and and crowdfunding, so alternate, I guess, financing models that are coming in with the introduction of fintech, um, in some countries, they could look at changing the laws to support that or to enable a lot more capital raising. So there's limits on that. So we've written a chapter on that in the book, which is actually looking at Hong Kong, um, but it could be used as a case study for many other countries. um, And sometimes that would need to happen. You will need to change the legislation um, to enable us to hit the SDGs so it's it's going to be really interesting i think for lawyers or for people that are looking into law to reflect on the SDGs and sort of think stop and go well hang on do our current laws actually even support the attainment of the SDGs because in some cases they probably won't and and speaking of laws one of the things that you point out in the book is with the
0: uk's um modern slavery act of 2015 just as, a, as an example businesses publish the steps they've taken to ensure supply chains and vendors aren't tainted by human trafficking um and slavery but there doesn't seem to be strong consequences for c- for companies that participate in this mm. so is that something that you think we will will tighten up as we move forward what the
1: consequences are for that hopefully mm-hmm. i mean some countries are making Steps um, and that modern day slavery act 2015 in the UK was, was a great first step. Mm. But as times moved on, it, it needs to be really looked at because it doesn't have any teeth. You know, um, if we are serious about stopping that, um, then there will need to be more consequences. Um, mm. Same happened, I guess, with Australia. They've put an act in, but the question is will it have enough teeth to do anything? Now, you need to balance that with giving business enough time to understand you know, and and take steps because um, when things come in like this or even I'll stay actually with this, they need time. So businesses need tools and education and a whole bunch of things to be able to go, well, how do I get this information? You know, how do I ensure that there isn't slavery in my supply chain? It's actually pretty tough. You know, there's quite a lot of technology that – would need to be invested in, and there's quite a bit of money to do that.
0: Can partnerships help with that as well? Technology is is key, but can
1: partnerships help with that too? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, not, you know, I think in many cases um, it's not about doing it, you know, by by yourself. There's multiple stakeholders that need to come in, and I think that's a really big thematic that's coming through um, in the um, uh, more government space. There's public private partnerships. Um, but just in the business community, there um, are wonderful opportunities for partnerships. Some people have bits of it. Some people have the rest. And it. it's the combination of the partnerships that will really make a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be extremely expensive. If we're just talking about dollars and cents in terms of partnerships, that can be something that's relational, I suppose.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: So, Julia, what is the big idea? If we're thinking about themes, um, ideas that would really take us by surprise, the financial services industry, um, not NGOs, what big ideas do you see coming up um in our in our ecosystem over the near term? That's a tough question.
1: Um, so um Look, I'll I'll reflect on some of the things that came out of this week, um, and since climate is a key thing that we need to focus on, so the SDGs we would like to attain all of them, but um, you know climate action is fairly fairly key at the moment, um, and looking at coal, so the phasing out of coal is is is, is extremely important, but putting a price on carbon is um, is the other key thing, and that came out very clearly um, in the Financing for Development Summit. Um, There's a lot of debate on that, um, but it seems to be the thing that can really make a difference. Um, So putting a price on carbon and then, uh, you know, companies will be able to to trade that and and build that into their models. Um, You know, we need to stop deforestation. Um, Deforestation brings, um, well, releases a huge amount of um, greenhouse gases. Um, It's it's very close to my heart um, because I'm based in Singapore and – We've had the the fires in um Indonesia burning for for many months now to the extent that in Singapore we have the um the smokes we have the haze that that is is with is literally with us at the moment, and we can't go outside so you know I live in a developed emerging city. And, you know, all our little kids um outdoor school functions are cancelled, we're all holed up inside, everyone's buying, you know, air purifiers. This stuff's happening today, you know, and it's um you know, you get headaches, you get um coughs, you know, your your chest is tight, our air is 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 not where it needs to be. So there's a lot of things that are happening um today that um we need to start acting on.
0: Mm. Starting to act immediately seems to be the key here. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining See you next time.